Hey y'all, welcome to Shades of Brown, the podcast that discusses the ever-evolving and sometimes contradicting thoughts of a Black millennial. I'm your host, Allie B, and I'm so excited that you're here with me again for another episode. And I have a guest with me here today. Her name is Alicia McCullough. She is a millennial licensed clinical mental health therapist and national certified counselor currently residing in Greensboro, North Carolina. She has spent the last few years providing therapy to college students dealing with issues of anxiety, depression, mood issues, relationship conflict, family concerns, eating disorders, and body image concerns. She's also provided individual group and couples therapy. She's super passionate about offering therapeutic guidance towards healing and wellness, primarily for black and brown folks experiencing mental health distress. She specializes in treating eating disorders and upholds the values of body justice and fat liberation within communities of color. She's passionate about anti-racism, racial healing, and decolonization. And she's motivated to increase access and create spaces for black, indigenous, queer people of color to come together and heal in ways that inspire holistic wellness and culturally inclusive informed healing. Before we get to unpacking stuff, let's get into this next segment. Rocking with Bob. Who is Bob, you ask? Bob stands for Black-Owned Businesses. And I'm super hyped that y'all are on board and then y'all have been buying Black and supporting different Bobs. It is incredible. I just got an email from WeBuyBlack.com last week that said that in the past three months, searches for Black-Owned Businesses has increased over 7,000% compared to this time last year. Y'all. This is not a trend. This is not a way. This is a lifestyle. Things are changing, okay? Things are changing and I am loving it. Y'all, I'm loving this so much, so much. So yes, let's stick with it, okay? Let's stick with it. This week, we are rocking with the McBride Sisters. The McBride Sisters are a Black-owned winery in Napa Valley. They have a collection of wines, including one that's called Black Girl Magic Rosé. I love it. Isn't that dope? That is so dope. They ship to the majority of the states. I know that some states have tricky laws in regards to shipping alcohol and stuff, but check them out. I uh, have purchased a bottle for friends. I have a bottle in my refrigerator. Check them out. And they also have a really, really cool story. I think you should go on to YouTube and look up McBride Sisters. They have an episode with Steve Harvey sharing their story about how they found each other and their love for wine. It's really cool. It's kind of like the Black Parent Trap. Their story is that cool. (laughs) So yes, y'all check them out. You can find them on Instagram at McBride Sisters and their website is McBrideSisters.com. If I'm not mistaken, I believe they are the first Black-owned winery out there in Napa Valley. So yeah, support so that you too can be rocking with Bob. (laughs) All right, y'all, let's unpack it. All right. Hey, Alicia, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing good. Doing really good. I'm so happy to have you back with Shades of Brown. (laughs) We tried this. We tried this in season one. And because of some technical issues, we were not able to put out the episode. Um, But thank you so much um, for being gracious enough to come back and have a conversation with me. Absolutely. Uh, Let's get right into it. Um, As you guys heard on the intro, Alicia is a mental health therapist. And I just want to have a conversation about uh, 
the links between racism and mental health. I think we are all like fatigued. We are all on the verge of, well, some of us on the verge of going straight up plum crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just yes. so much, it's so much going on with the pandemic being quarantined. Our social interactions are affected. Everything has been affected. Some people's employment has been affected. People's right. health is being affected. And then on top of that, we've got, you know, racism and, and protests and riots and all the things, it feels like this whole civil war is going on. Mm-hmm. And it is really, I feel, taking a toll on us. So I want to hear from a medical perspective, is there truly a link? I've noticed since all this has been going on, I've noticed uh, headaches um, mm-hmm. constantly. I've noticed restlessness, heightened anxiety, changes in appetite. Like yes. where, where like one week I'm like, I don't have an appetite or the next week I'm like freaking binge eating. Like I've noticed all kinds of differences and I'm like, what is going on? Like something, something ain't quite right. (laughs) You know? So like, can you speak to that? Are there, is there truly a link between racism and mental health? Yes. And I think you really hit it on the head when you described some of those symptoms. A lot of those symptoms you described are in connection with anxiety and depression, um, which can be brought up right now with all everything going on that you already mentioned as well. And so even when I think about racism, one of the things that really stood out to me is how you talked about it's affecting our medical, you know, our access to medical help. It's impacting our housing. It's impacting our finances. It's impacting our ability to um, choose what schools we go to. And that's always been a thing. So that's historical, but has been going through with all of the um, tools of racism that were used to enforce those dynamics. And so, of course, if I don't feel safe in my house, that's going to affect you know, my anxiety and I'm going to be more hyper alert. I'm going to be more hyper vigilant if I go to the medical provider and I'm not getting the care I need. That's going to have an impact on my health, which ultimately is going to impact you know, my anxiety and depression levels. And so even some of the things you describe, even my job prospects, you know, if I'm being um, discriminated against, that's going to also impact my ability to be financially stable or not, which is then going to impact, you know, my worries or how I'm feeling about myself. And so even we look at it from a systematic perspective, all of those things do impact anxiety and depression. And so I will even give a little bit of insight on what anxiety and depression look like. Yes, please do. And so anxiety and depression, like you said, look like some of that fatigue, look like the hypervigilance, look like being restless, but also it looks like lack of concentration, irritability, anger, sweating, restlessness, fatigue, racing thoughts, unwanted thoughts. So even thoughts of someone's going to hurt me, or what happens if I walk out of the house and then and, and someone tries to attack me? Those type of thinking patterns that can influence your ability just to survive, right? Yes. And so that loss of interest in things, you know, maybe you were interested before in like playing basketball or writing or something like that. But now you can't even imagine going outside and playing basketball or even writing anything or reading a book because those things feel like they're so draining. And so those are just some of the symptoms of anxiety. But of course, with depression, we also have the sleep issues. We have hopelessness, loss of interest as well, and things you might have normally liked. Um, You have fatigue and then those those feelings of isolation and also those feelings of uncontrollable um, emotions. So sometimes it might feel like you're just overwhelmed with all of your emotions. And then from there, you might be lashing out at people. You might be a little bit more reactive than normal. And so those are some of the symptoms And I say those symptoms, not only is it anxiety and depression, but it also can look like PTSD from the continual feeling of these things. 
Um, it can look like the effects of post-traumatic slave syndrome from our grandparents maybe having PTSD and those things being passed down, our ancestors having that and those being passed down to us through our biology. And so there's all of these things going on within our bodies and within our psyche, and it is having an impact. And so racism, anxiety, depression, and all other things are so connected, especially during this time. OMG. Thank you for saying that specifically about um, post-traumatic slave syndrome. Because I remember, I remember I did I did an episode about um, Jesus in therapy um, some months back, and I mentioned how I truly believe that a trauma can be passed down from generation to generation. So thank you um, for validating that that is actually like a fact that that happens. Because I do believe that um, even if it's not a direct effect, we sometimes take on what our ancestors or our grandparents or parents experienced. So thank you for saying that. And you hit the nail on the head. And pretty much I've been experiencing like all of those things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we all have. (laughs) It has been so rough. It's like, I don't want to have anxiety, like to just take a walk around my neighborhood. Like lately, I typically, you know, when I, you know, take my evening walks, sometimes I'll just leave my phone. Like, you know, let me just, you know, relax and um, be unplugged, be one with nature, you know. Mm-hmm. But lately I'm like, uh-uh, I, need to take my, I have to have my phone just in case right. something pops off. Mm-hmm. And, and just the idea that I that I tell myself, no, take your phone because you don't know who's going. I hate that, right? You know, mm-hmm. and even I've noticed when I'm, you know, just out in the evenings walking around the neighborhood, I live in a gentrified neighborhood, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I rarely ever see any Black people in my neighborhood. Recently, I saw a young black guy walking in my neighborhood. And when I tell you I tensed up so much Mm -hmm. and I just began to just watch him, I was behind him and I just began to watch everywhere he went. What like what is he doing? What movements is he making that could possibly have someone looking at him like he's suspicious? I just went into like mama bear mode so quick because I'm like, oh, my goodness, he's not safe. Like it's broad daylight. right? Right. Like this man isn't doing anything but walking. And mm-hmm. I was legit terrified. <laughs> like, I've got to like follow him to make sure he gets wherever he's going to make sure he gets there safely. And he eventually um, took a right when I took a left. I'm like, no, I can't. I can't see you anymore. Like, please, like, yeah, where I'm going so I can, you know, make sure you're good. And that I legit was stressed out. <laughs> I was stressed mm-hmm. out watching him. Um, and that is just that's not okay. That simple things, simple things like taking a walk around my neighborhood is somehow now heightened and stressful. Like this is what I do to relax. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I think even what you described right there, that shared trauma, right? That you're experiencing this is having an impact on your body. And I'm with you on um, taking your phone out. I would love to leave my phone at my house, but I don't know if I'm going to run into a Karen and, you know, have to have some evidence. So, Listen, um, <laughs> I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded by Karens. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I hear that, like, you have that own trauma based on everything that's going on and has been going on, you know, within your own experience. And then, of course, you see someone who looks like you and that shared empathy and that shared trauma comes up for you and you're like, I want to protect you. And it's kind of this weird mix of being how much do I, you know, be free and like you said, enjoy myself here. And at the same time, know that this lived reality, that that's not a privilege that I have is still having an impact on me being able to just exist in my body and in this space that I inhabit. Oh my goodness. Spot on. Yes. All of that. It, 
it is and, and this is the part that is invisible, right? And this is the part right. that makes it difficult to explain to our counterparts when it comes to the varied effects of racism. You know, this thing is not isolated. It's not just, you know, an incident in Minnesota with one guy. It's like, mm-hmm. no, this thing lives within us. It's, it's a part of our daily experiences. And it's tough to explain that, you know, it's like, what do you mean racism affects anxiety or depression? It's like, well, it because it does it's real mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely and I think this conversation is just so spot on even considering that it's minority mental health month you know this month and so as we come to a close of that it's just so real and I love what you said around a lot of times people don't see the the silent struggle that every day as you think about you know waking up and saying is this hairstyle going to seem threatening where I'm going today or is this outfit can I wear my black lives matter t-shirt you know to this certain event as a white counterpart might be able to but I'll be targeted you know and like thinking about those things all the time even before you get out of the house and like you said then you get out and it's every move is being calculated and being thought about intensely and we having that expectation to be so intentional about everything we're doing and and really at the expense of our own well-being. And that's something that people of privilege don't have to think about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything is calculated and thought out. We've got to plan three and four steps ahead and it, it can be really stressful. So in times like these, how can we differentiate if these heightened levels of anxiety and depression, if it's just a phase because of current events, or if we should actually seek professional help? How do we tell the difference and how do we know when it's time to go see somebody like yourself? Yes. Well, and I even think historically, you know, when I think about our ancestors, um, you know, they were always in community. They were always communing together. And that was their form of self-care and keeping each other accountable and making sure they were okay. Unfortunately, because we now live in a society that's so siloed and individualized, we don't have those same resources. And so I tell anyone, whether it's anxiety, depression, eating disorder, um, PTSD, if you feel like there's something going on with you and it's impacting your well-being to the point where you're not able to function, where you feel like it's so overwhelming to take, you know, to um, to even just exist, right, with those feelings, please reach out to someone. You know, you don't have to wait until it's super severe um, for you to finally say, hey, I need help. Even if it's something small, just reach out and just have someone to talk to. You know, that's so important, being in community. And if you don't feel comfortable going to individual therapy, start with a group therapy. You know, maybe there's a support group in your community. Again, that's our historical way of healing. So get in some community group support. Um, And then, of course, maybe that'll help you potentially get into individual therapy. But please talk to someone about it. Shame exists and thrives in silence. You know, our pain thrives in silence. And so when we break that silence, we're really moving towards our healing. Oh my God. That is so good. That is so good. Shame thrives in silence. Oh, that is so good. That's a whole word, but we don't have time to stay there, but man, that is good. That is good. Please, if you're listening and you have been experiencing any of the symptoms we've uh, mentioned, please reach out, reach out to somebody. Um, Like she said, it doesn't have to be You don't have to be at rock bottom to seek out professional help. So please take care of yourself. So can you help us and possibly give us some ways to respond to racism and racist events without becoming completely avoidant or completely numb? Because I find myself sometimes 
straight up being numb. Like I will see a tragic story and legit have absolutely no feeling. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't register with me because it's like I'm tapped out. Like I'm, I'm completely tapped out. Like I legit can see a, a, like someone was found hanging. I saw a story yesterday that a black woman was found hanging in her white roommate's garage in Texas somewhere. Right. Wherever the state was. When I tell you, I read the headline and I just scrolled past it because I'm like, yeah, I tapped out. Mm-hmm. And it should not be where I read a tragic headline and I have no feeling no feeling how do we engage in this type of thing without just being straight up avoidant or numb yeah i think it's important to even look at our automatic nervous system and really start there and so a lot of times our nervous system responds to threats and so that's what keeps our body safe and so we often go into this thing that people talk about fight flight or freeze you know and so when you're presented with a dangerous situation or an environment you'll either go into fight mode where you'll literally fight. And so that could look like the videos we see people um, going off, fighting back (laughs) against people who've been racist. Um, You might go into flight where you run away, you you retreat from the situation or freeze where you just kind of totally just zone out. You don't have even the capacity to know what to do. You're kind of frozen and stuck in that moment. And so even when I think about the whole avoidant piece, I think about how how that plays into our automatic response system and how our systems are responding to protect ourselves from danger. And so even in that, we've got so used to seeing these things because of social media and technology that it has become a thing where it's like, okay, when's the next one going to happen? You know, we've normalized these things in our brains to say, this is just the way it is. And so our body responds in that way um, to that. And oftentimes we are either fleeing, you know, like you said, that avoidance kind of not wanting to view it um, or, or, you know, we're freezing and we're just kind of stuck in that state. Um, and so even when I think about that, I always tell people, one, we definitely want to balance what we're viewing. That's not to say every trauma video that you go online and you watch it all, you know, that actually increases the amount of trauma, anxiety and depression you're experiencing by exposing yourself to secondary trauma. But what I do say is that when you experience those things where it's difficult to maybe not continue to um, scroll and just and just go about your day, but really stopping, not to read it, but just check in with yourself, stopping in that moment and saying, as I just saw that image, where is that image sitting in my body? What feelings are coming up for me as I'm looking at this image and sit with that discomfort around that, you know, because it's getting stored in your body and it's important that you recognize that and then be able to break some of that up. And so I say, do some deep breathing do some grounding if you can maybe go outside and put your feet in the dirt after seeing something like that just so you can feel more grounded to earth or even go call a friend just so you have someone to talk to about it but don't just let it sit in your body because as it's sitting in your body it's having an impact on you it's having an impact on your physical being it's having an impact on your mental being and so it's important that we release the things that we're experiencing but first we have to address that they're there But first, we have to address that they're there. That's good. As you see, I'm over here like really deep breathing right now. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean for this to be a therapy session, but you are helping me. (laughs) It's important to breathe. I'm telling you, that is so 
that is so revolutionary because oftentimes I was at a training and they talked about how, you know, when we, when something shocks our system, like if we step on a nail, you know, the first thing we do is kind of pull back and we kind of bring our breath into our body. Like, oh, you know, I just stepped on that nail, but we never really release after we experience that pain. And so that's why it's so important that even as you're breathing in, that you're also allowing space to release, right? So it doesn't just get stuck there. Oh my gosh. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. On that same note, my next question kind of goes hand in hand with that. For people who are really, really engaged in activism, whether it's protesting, um, fighting for voter registration or social media activism, spreading awareness and whatever lane of activism we're operating in, um, what are some ways to be heavily engaged, but also protect our mental psyche? Like. Mm-hmm. What's the balance? Is there a balance? Are we just going to always be enraged? Because that's how I feel. Like I, I think about the the James Baldwin quote that says to be Negro in this country and even remotely aware or even remotely conscious is to be um, enraged all the time. And right. that is the space that I live in. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so, yes. what, so what's the balance when it comes to being engaged, but maintaining our own wellness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such an important question because that's something I've had to struggle with as an activist, you know, and something I felt some guilt around for a while because I'm like, well, I'm not at every protest and I'm not, you know, doing all of the things that everybody else is doing. And so sitting with that guilt, you know, it didn't get me anywhere for one, right? Um, but really, you know, when I want to talk about the place where you talked about that rage, rage is so important. I think it's such an important um, feeling and emotion because that's our power. The rage is our power. And so I always figure out how do I turn this rage and and make it my power? What do I want to do with that power of of the rage? Because I think sometimes we want to push it away and say, that's negative. I shouldn't feel that. But no, feel it. Our rage is communicating to us all the time. And we have to check in and say, what are you communicating to me right now in this emotion? What do I need to do, you know, with this emotion here? And so that would be one thing is really channeling our rage and allowing ourselves to experience this as our power and as a gift that we have. And then the second thing would be in regard to activism, not kind of stepping away and divesting from the system. A lot of times the system tells us work, 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 right? Like you always got to be on, you always got to be on the go. That's capitalism. And so as we're feeding into that system and using it in our activism work, it's almost like we're doing the opposite, right? Because if we're taking care of ourselves, that's also meaning I'm allowed to rest in my activism. You know, that's something that a therapist told me. She was saying that, you know, if I'm outside protesting, but I'm not taking care of myself and I end up dying by that means, then it's no better than me dying by the system that put the put the knee on George Floyd's neck, right? If I'm still feeding into that system and not allow myself self-care and rest and balance. And so one, moving past that feeling of guilt is where I was at and saying, it's okay for me to find that balance and to rest. I don't have to always be on go. That's the system that we're moving away from. I'm moving into more of a liberatory system that allows me to be able to engage, but also step back when necessary. Wow. Wow. That's so good. That is so, so good. We do ourselves no favors if we don't take care of ourselves in the midst of fighting for our community. Yes. Man. That's good. I feel that it it seems that healing for our community, that healing for Black folks, it seems that it's a luxury. 
Mm-hmm. It seems that we have not been afforded the same opportunity to heal and truly take care of our um, mental wellness. Honestly, just heal in general, physically, emotionally, mentally, all all of the things. But right. we're specifically talking about mental health. So, um, how do we how do we gain better access to mental health resources? Because I'm gonna forever push mental wellness and forever push black people specifically to go to therapy like whether you are experiencing these things or not like I think every single black American should have a therapist that's my personal opinion Um, but I do also know that we don't always have the accessibility so how do we gain better access to taking care of our mental wellness Mm-hmm. You're right. You know, first acknowledging all of the inequities in the system in regards to access and care, that's real. And then even for those who do access care, there's still a lot of white supremacy and barriers within those systems that can cause us not to get the care that we need. And so I even think about the fact that the black that black communities that it's estimated that 90% of us have mental health concerns, right? And no surprise there. Everything we've been through, I mean, (laughs) what would we expect? Um, And at the same time, you know, it is important to get therapy. And so I look at places like OpenPath. OpenPath.com is a place where people can access therapy for a low or reduced cost. And I know they have a lot of inclusive providers up there who are open to sliding scales and open to making it more accessible. Um, I do also know the Boris Foundation that Taraji P. Henson started. That is another place where people can go and get therapy that's more accessible and affordable. Um, I know there's sites like Therapy for Black Girls that you can go see a therapist who holds your identity. And I know there's other websites that are not coming to mind, but I can definitely send you um, that are specific to different community types, whether that's our LGBTQ plus community, whether that is our black men in our community. There's a lot of different websites and people out there that are opening up and saying, how do I make this more accessible? And that can be like what you and I, you know, doing telehealth in a way, you know, so it's over video. And so then you don't have to go into an office that might not be close to you or might not be in your state or town, but you can talk to someone from anywhere. And so that's another option as well. And so I say those, you know, try some of those if you don't feel like it's financially affordable, which I know a lot of times it's not. And then And also thinking about what are other things I can add into my day? What are things that I can add into my life that represent healing? You know, and so right now I'm reading a book called um, I'm Working the Roots, the 400 Years of Traditional African-American Healing. And that's been helpful for me to really see what people were doing in my area, to see the natural things that they were doing to take care of themselves during that time. And so I also feel like it can be a combination of a lot of things, talk therapy, group community healing, as well as looking at what were some of the things that we've already been doing and really empowering what we've already done and what our ancestors did so far to survive and thrive into this time. Awesome. I have noticed that that's been one of the benefits of this pandemic and us being quarantined is that um, most of our uh, therapists are doing telehealth. And that's what I've been doing, me and my therapist, though she's in Nashville. Every month we've been getting on Zoom to do our sessions um, because we're neither one of us are comfortable yet to, you know, be in close quarters right. talking to each other. Um, but the benefit is that, you know, I know a lot of people don't have black therapists in their um in their state, in their city. Um, but because we're all doing telehealth right now, they have, they can now reach out to people in other states. You know, maybe you're on the West Coast and you want to try somebody on the East Coast. You know, you, you can do that now because of telehealth. Um, 
So that is really, that's one thing that can help. And of course, you know, y'all check your insurance and see what's available within your network. And maybe you just have to pay out of pocket, you know, maybe a session or two that you'll just have to, you know, pay straight cash, but do whatever is best for you. Please stay encouraged to find someone that can truly help you um, because there are Black therapists out here. And please, if, if reach out to me, I'll help you. I have helped um, multiple friends find um, therapists. Like, please reach out, reach out. Um, but thank you for that. Another thing that I've noticed in our community is how we oftentimes, and we, and we talked about this when we first talked, we oftentimes trivialize things. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a community, our first defense mechanism is comedy. We mm-hmm. make everything funny, like mm-hmm. instantly. We don't even, we don't have time to process nothing before we have made it into a meme. We've made a dance around it. We've put music to it and made a song out of it. Um, we are pros at turning trauma into comedy. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, right? Like we laugh and we look at the memes and we look at the shade room where they posted and and it's funny for a second. But a lot of times I'm like, come on, y'all. Can we take anything seriously? This is actually really, really sad. (laughs) You know, like, can you speak to that? Like, is that a part of us not having the access to proper healthcare that we just do what we got to do in survival mode and just, hey, if that means laughing away, laughing our pain away, that we do that. Can you speak to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think anytime, like even when looking at a behavior, I always think about, and specifically for Black people, I always say, what purpose does that behavior um, have, you know, in our lives? And one of the things that comes up for me is that um, the purpose that humor and downplaying a lot of things has always had for us is that's our way of healing. And so I even think about our ancestor ways of music and dance. That was when we were, when our ancestors were enslaved, that was the way they connected to a spiritual higher power. That was their way that they released some of the tension and the um, atrocities that occurred to them and the genocide that occurred to them in their bodies. And so um, that was one way and humor and community was another way as well. And so I always think, what is the purpose of a behavior? And, you know, where did it come from? And a lot of it is um, that in, inject, injected oppression. That's something I recently learned at a, a training is kind of turning the words away from internalized oppression, but to injected oppression, because we didn't internalize anything. It was injected on us, right? And so one of the things that came up when I thought about that were a couple examples. And so grief and loss, you know, how we kind of um, frame that and think about that. I was in another training where they talked about how the reason why we just jump up and say, all right, so-and-so died. I'm going right back to work the next day. Or, you know, they passed away, whatever, you know, they were, they were going to go anyway. It's because when we think historically, when we were, when our ancestors were enslaved, when someone would die, which would happen often, you know, from abuse and and genocide and and much more atrocity, that um, the family was required and the people on the plantation were required to bury that person. And then they had to get back to work. There was no, oh, my baby just died. Like, I want to grieve. I want to cry. It was, no, get your stuff, bury your child, get your stuff and get back out to work or you would be gone next, Right. And so because of that mentality, we've had to learn to, in a lot of ways, hide our emotions, suppress them so that we can move on to survive. And so that was something that was injected from the oppressor and still continues today. Even when we think about the strong black woman trope that goes around us having to be strong all the time, you know, that also came from that same mentality of you don't have time to cry about your child, your, you know, your husband might be 
getting beat or et cetera, et cetera. You don't have time to think about that. You don't have time to grieve or process that. It's just, you have to be strong or even black men don't cry. You know, that whole, um, and I'm glad that we're moving away from that, but that whole narrative, um, what purpose did that serve during that time? And how was it passed down intergenerationally to still be a way of survival, even though we might not be in the same situation, but very similar situations. And so that's something I think about. And, you know, thinking about the purpose of us suppressing our emotions during that time was so that they could dehumanize our ancestors and say, oh, well, if they don't feel, of course they can do all this work. Of course, you know, they can do that. But that disconnection and that fragmentation that was used at that time is still here today. And so when we look at things that are serious, that are trauma, that disconnection and that fragmentation has been passed down to the point where we are not connected to the emotion. Like that's our way of survival. And so for us, it's just kind of, you know, like I said, that survival of humor and like turning it into a meme and making something out of nothing. That's the way of survival because of how we've been indoctrined in the past. And so even when I look at, look at that, I say, you know, it's not for me to fix the black community or be a savior or anything like that, because I want to divest from those European and westernized beliefs of fixing and saving, but more along the lines of let me help you understand, like, let's talk about this. OK, so you know, so-and-so, this situation just happened, and, and I see that you're laughing about that. Tell me what's behind that laughter. You know, let's talk about that, and you'll get a little bit deeper into what the inner layers are as you pull back that onion of what had to be used for protection. Mm, man, we definitely use comedy as protection, as a weapon, um, as a mask. Mm -hmm. In a way, is is beautiful because we have, because we are survivors. We yes. are survivors, but also in a way, it's just unfortunate because right. um, stuff be hard and we just be laughing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, thank, thank you so much for sharing that. That's incredible, especially for pointing out the fact of how, you know, the, the strong black woman syndrome. I've, I've been seeing lately this meme floating around saying, stop calling black women strong. It's no longer a compliment because right. it's, we're dying because everyone thinks we're so strong. And I've been having to sit with that. Like, Hmm, I feel that I, I'm, I'm not saying whether you should or should not receive that as a compliment. I think, I think our strength is beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, but I also see where it is killing us because people think we can carry anything mm -hmm. and we have not been afforded the same opportunities to speak up and say, Hey, I'm struggling. I need help. Save me. Help me. Um, protect me. Right. Because when we do speak up, you know, a lot of times our voices are invalidated, dismissed, we're gaslighted. Mm -hmm. It's truly unfortunate. And when you spoke about Black men, right, not being able to express emotion. And though I am seeing a shift, there's still a lot of fear with our Black men that they are unable to be vulnerable, unable to express mm -hmm. themselves what they're truly, truly going through because there's this fear that, and not all the times that somebody else will view them a certain way, but they don't, they themselves don't want to sit with like, that feeling that I feel scared, I feel sad, I feel traumatized, I feel whatever, fill in the blank. But I'm thankful for people like you who have gone into the mental health field and is also an activist who is helping us, helping our community heal. And I pray that people like Alicia multiply. We need more and more Alicias all over the, the nation to help our community heal. Um, what you're doing is amazing work, amazing work. Um, and I just want to like put you on the spot, share, share with the people what you and another friend did about amplifying melanated voices. Like you just blew up overnight on social media, like share with them, <laughs> share with my listeners a little bit about that. 
Yeah. And so the Amplify Melanated Voices Challenge came out of my own experience being in the mental health field. Oftentimes, there's a lot of hierarchy. There's a lot of supremacy, much like in every field. And what I would notice is that Black and brown voices would only be invited to the table as tokens, or we'd be invited to the table to talk about the specific um, piece of diversity that felt important to the overall white structure. And then after that, it's like, all right, y'all did y'all's part moving on back to us in power. You know, you don't get anything for it. We barely give you credit. We don't pay you for your labor. Boom, that's it. And so that was problematic, you know, because I work, you know, for my degree and my experience and, um, you know, as well, just as much as anyone else. And also my lived experience is very valid and real. And I wanted to really highlight and bring that to the light as well. And so when Jessica and I were talking about the challenge, we said, okay, this is kind of something we're noticing within our field of eating disorders and body um, liberation. And so let's see, let's talk about it. Let's put it out there. And so we made this challenge and we didn't expect it to like go anywhere. We had a couple um, people that we talked to on social media that were like, hey, can we share your page? We just wanted to increase awareness and, and you know, information about people doing the work. But out of nowhere, like you said, um, you know, all of a sudden my phone was blowing up. I woke up the next morning and I have all these notifications and my friends are calling me like, hey, like so-and-so featured you and like you're here. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and, you know, it's just such um, it's such a gift to, to know that that challenge touched people in Canada, touched people in the UK, touched people um, in Quebec, touched people all over the world, you know, and really brought awareness to the importance of amplifying the black and brown voices that exist among us every day. And not just the famous person, not just the likable person, but the everyday people. And so for me, that felt like a gift and that felt like a calling that was necessary for the season. And I'm just so grateful that I was able to carry that out um, and put that out there in this moment. But absolutely, that challenge um, was, went further than I ever thought it could have gone. But that was the intention behind it, was really just to bring awareness to an injustice in a situation that I and other people were experiencing. But of course, you know, it really blew up and really gave voice to other people's experience as well. Yeah, that was incredible. I was seeing so many pages that I follow saying, hey, I'm muting my page today um, yeah. and reaching out to um Black creators and curators and um, saying, hey, if you want to take over my page, you can. And I, I initially didn't realize that you were behind it. But I'm like, wait, wait, there's a comment. <laughs> like, is Alicia behind this? This is yes. Alicia. Go, girl. Go, girl. Get these people together on social media. Yes. So if you guys were seeing that hashtag floating around, Amplify Melanated Voices, Alicia was behind that. That that was her challenge. So in, incredible work, incredible. Yeah. And I'm still seeing the effects of it. It hasn't stopped. It hasn't yes. stopped. So that is incredible. You are a world changer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Seriously, thank you for all you do. And I pray you continue to have the capacity and the strength and energy for this work because we need you, girl. We need <laughs> <you>. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's really the community, right? Like it's in thinking about who are all the people around me and like, what are all of our experiences and really just wanting to bring voice and just put that in the light, you know? And so I just appreciate community and everybody, you yourself included, um, that really bought that movement to be, you know, based on the interactions and experiences of every day. I don't think any interaction happens for no reason. And so um, I just appreciate that in itself. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming to Shades of Brown um, to share with me about the links between racism and mental health. And we could talk about this for hours because we already know that racism touches every corner, every industry, every aspect of our worlds. But I appreciate you sharing your experience and sharing all that you've learned over the years um, while working as a mental health counselor and activist. Um, So I appreciate you. Do you want to share any of your upcoming projects or anything special you're working on? I know you have a book. Please share yes. with them what your book is. <laughs> yes, um, I have a book out. It's called Blossoming. I wrote it, I think, two or three years ago now. And it's a book of poetry. It was really a collection of my experiences prior to that year. And I really wanted to wrap up some of those chapters in my life. And so I wrote the book Blossoming as a way of wrapping up and really putting some of those experiences. So it's about a self-love journey. And so for people that might be interested in that journey, feel free to buy the book. It's on my website. um, And that's located in the bio of my Instagram page. Um, I also have a training coming up in August called Exploring the Seven Circles of Whiteness, Sit and Learn, which is a learning tool for white people who want to know a little bit more about themselves and ways that they might be explicitly or implicitly internalizing racism or even how that might show up in their daily lives. And so that's another opportunity I have coming up in August. And I have a wonderful group of panelists who will be there with me, Um, as well as I also have the Holistic Black Healing Collective, which is a um, online community and organization that I created um, to bring together black and brown um, people of color, indigenous people into one space where we can feel safe where we can feel supported, share resources, and connect with each other. And so that's a, another option as well for people who might be looking for more community. Um, so yeah, those are just a couple things there. Awesome. Incredible. Please support y'all. Please support this beautiful queen. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot for testimony service. Okay. I just thought about okay. this. I was thinking about when we first met and first recorded the episode that never came out um, <laughs> that day, this was just a couple of months ago. And that day you had left your job yes. and I could feel that you were just kind of down, you know, like it was a huge decision. Fast forward to today. And it's a, it's a completely different story. And in a time where hopelessness is all around, us, helplessness is all around us. Can you just encourage us in like how you came to make such a bold faith move and how that faith move has literally changed your life? Yes, absolutely. So yeah, that was that was definitely an experience. So I was at this job that I felt like, you know, we all have our past that we feel like we set up for ourselves and we have X, Y, and Z all planned out. And then life shows us that that's just not a reality, right? And so that was what I experienced. You know, I was at this job where I wasn't being treated well at all and was definitely suffering with some mental health concerns in relation to the job where I was working and finally decided after a while of trying to work on it, after a while of trying to um, talk to people in higher positions and see if, you know, we could change the culture and some of the ways I was being treated realized that for me, it would be best for me to navigate and leave out, which was really hard because it was at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, financially, I'm like, what in the world? I don't know if I can do this. Um, And there was just so many other things going on because I had tied so much of my purpose and um, everything to this position. And so I decided, you know, to step out on faith. I was telling Allie that, you know, I would pray every day before going to work and that I would go into the office and listen to um, music that was spiritual and that really brought me encouragement throughout the day and really just praying for that environment. And eventually I had to say, okay, you know, and I got this feeling and this intuition around it's your time, you know, it's your time to go. 
And, you know, it was hard to listen to that and say, no, like all my security is in this thing here, but I really had to step out on faith. And so I did, I ended up leaving that job and I didn't know what that would look like. Like we're in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, I never been out and <laughs> done anything else outside of what I was doing. Um, but thankfully I was, I had someone who um, had offered me a job in private practice, which is where I'm at now. Um, and that experience, as you said, Allie, was just so um, amazing just to see how many opportunities just started coming my way. Um, just being able to work in a place where I'm free and appreciated, where I have clients that are motivated to work with me, um, where I'm seeing clientele that look like me, you know, for a change. And so that was an amazing experience and allowed me to also focus on my other gifts and callings, such as this activism work, such as, you know, working on um, this tra these trainings and podcasts and panels. And so that was such an amazing experience. But at the time, it just seemed like I was lost. Um, but now when I look into it, I'm like, wow, you know, that is my testimony that God was watching me that whole time. And now I'm, I'm secure. Trust me, Allie, Allie and I have spoke. And so, yeah, stepping out on that faith, although I didn't know what would happen or what that looked like, that was a big step. But I'm so grateful that I listened and made that step because I am so much more happier so much more in a better mental and emotional space just by being able to stand up for myself and say, I don't deserve this, you know, and God has better plans for me. This is a tough season, but the next season will be the, the best. And so that was something that really encouraged me and got me to where I'm at today. Yes, I I was so encouraged by your story um, because it's happened so quickly, so yes. quickly. And um, we oftentimes are praying for breakthrough and praying for a miracle and praying that God will do this and that and X, Y, and Z. And all the time, God is like, yeah, I can't do nothing until you do something. Like you move, then I move, you know? And for you to step out on faith and then he's like, all right, now I can do what I've been wanting right. to do. Now I got right. you for real, you know? In the middle of a pandemic, Right. In the middle of a whole pandemic. Um, so I'm so incredibly happy for you that you are free now um, to operate fully yes. in your purpose and freely in your purpose. It is beautiful. It's incredible. It looks good <laughs> on you, girl. You. Good. Thank you. And, you know, really another thing that really kind of was a highlight of that experience was that at the beginning of the year, you know, I set my word as peace. You know, I, I try to set an intention for the beginning of the year and peace was my word. Um, and the fact that, you know, at the beginning, I'm like, what is this? I'm like, okay, you know, like, where are we at here? But to know now that I've embodied so much peace, you know, of course, everything on the outside, right? Externally, things are still happening. But internally, I really feel that peace that I set my intention on. I think that's something that um, is undescribable. And I'm just so grateful for. Yes. I love it. I love this so much. Okay. All right, y'all. Let's get into brownie points. Um, I want you to think of something that you are proud of, something you've done recently, something you said recently. It could be major. It could be minor, small, big, whatever. I just want you to think about something that you're proud of and give yourself a little bit of love, a little bit of extra love this week. So Alicia, what are you giving yourself brownie points for today? So this past week, this third past Thursday, um, I did a panel um, on eating disorders and genocide. And so it had my perspective from the African-American Black side. It had um, a perspective from the Cambodian side and a, a perspective from the Mexican Chicano side as well. And so um, as we brought together all those genocides and our experiences, there was a lot that came up. Like I, I was very vulnerable. And that's something that you know, um, I talk about a lot in it. I know it can still be hard in practice to do. 
And so I just want to really give my sobriety points for being so vulnerable in that experience and on that panel and really just pouring my heart into it. Um, it's just something difficult to talk about. Um, and so that made me feel good because I was super nervous about it, but um, I like it happened and I, and I just really trusted that intuition and that wisdom and said, okay, let's do it. And so that's something I give myself brownie points. It's just that courage from this week. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. That sounds incredible. I'm giving myself brownie points for being extra vulnerable with my friends this week. (laughs) I am in um, a four-week masterclass with Dr. Kalita Forbes. She is a minister and therapist who I absolutely love. And she's doing this um, four-week thing on the anatomy of insecurity. And it's based on the show Insecure. And it's it's really, really Mm -hmm. dope. And uh, she's been challenging us to analyze our friendships. Last week, the homework was realizing what your expectations were and if they had changed and if you had communicated those expectations. And I realized, I was like, I don't know that I've ever told my friends what I expect from them. I don't even know if I have expectations. And I had to deal with that. Like, why don't I have expectations? Mm -hmm. Like, I am worthy of having expectations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I had to sit with that and then like communicate to my friends, which was so incredibly vulnerable. And I had to ask some hard questions, or at least I thought they were hard. And they were just like, okay, Allison, yeah, this is this is easy. <laughs> um, but I am giving myself brownie points for being extremely vulnerable and super transparent with them this week because I'm I'm learning that I'm typically not, that the perfectionist in me does not allow myself to be viewed as anything less than. Um, I've got all my T's crossed and all my I's dotted, mm-hmm. um, but I'm learning to ask for help and to be vulnerable and it's hard. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's what I'm giving myself brownie points for. So please give yourself brownie points. And once you've done that, go over to Instagram and or Facebook at Shades of Brown Podcast and let me know in the comments under the brownie points post what you're giving yourself brownie points for. All right, Alicia, uh, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. I truly appreciate you for being so gracious to come back and have um, this amazing conversation with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for bringing me back and having me. This is definitely um, needed for this time. And so I really appreciate you bringing me in to talk about it. Y'all, Alicia is so incredible. I just love her. She's out here changing the world, y'all. I think you should follow her. You can find her on Instagram at Black and Embodied. All right. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Shades of Brown. I really appreciate it. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Shades of Brown Podcast. And share, 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 comment, engage with me. All those things that will help me um, be found so that other folks can come and join us and listen to Shades of Brown. Okay. All right, y'all, Black folks, please take care of your mental wellness. Please, please, please reach out to somebody. Um, Do all the things you need to make sure your mind is right. Renew your mind. Stay in the word. Pray. Get outside. Ride a bike. Take a hike. Whatever you need to do to take care of your mental wellness, please do. It's really tricky times, and I want us all to be straight, okay? And at the same time, please remember you are enough. Your creation is so divine and I love me some you. So until the next episode, be healthy, be whole, be healed.